You are listening to Beyond the Ballot Box, Jewish Values and Our Vote, with Rabbi Jesse Olitsky and Friends, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about this and other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Behind the Ballot Box, a conversation on Jewish values and our votes. I'm your host, Rabbi Jesse Olitsky of Congregation Bethel in South Orange, New Jersey. And each episode from now until Election Day will focus on a different value in how the Jewish community and Jewish teachings lead us to respond in this moment to this value and how our understanding of this situation may influence our votes on the local, state, and federal level come November. In this episode, we'll be focusing on immigration, refugees, and asylum seekers, and what our faith teaches us about our relationship at this moment with this issue in America. I'm joined in this episode by Rabbi Rachel Timoner of Congregation Beth Elohim in Park Slope, Brooklyn, and Rebecca Kirchner, Senior Director of Grassroots Campaigns for Hias. Rachel and Rebecca, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Jesse. It's great to be here. Full disclosure, uh, the three of us traveled to the U.S.-Mexico border uh, a number of months ago in the fall of 2019. It seems like ages ago in a totally different world. Rebecca helped organize a trip for Hayes and Trua for rabbis to travel to the border to El Paso and Ciudad Juarez to see really on the ground to bear witness to the terrible situation that is going on there with so many uh, refugees from Central America waiting at the border, requesting asylum, to visit ICE detention centers, to see uh, how ICE detainees are treated, to sit in in a courtroom, to see how people are are sent out of this country and deported from this country. Uh, I wanna, Rachel, first ask you why you chose to go on that trip back in November, and what inspired you since that experience? Well, first of all, it was a phenomenal trip, and Rebecca and her team did an amazing job. I I wanted to go on the trip because I had been, my attention had been on the border and on the cruelty of this administration um, to immigrants and refugees and people seeking asylum. Um, I, I was aware of it, and I was even active about it, but I hadn't been. And I felt like I needed to see for myself. I needed to see the real human beings who were being affected by the policies we were discussing. And um, it was really, really important to go and see for myself. Rebecca, so much of what we learned at the border uh, was focused on the administration's remain in Mexico policy, MPP. Um, Can you explain a little bit about that policy? Sure. Well, this is a policy that's still very much in effect. Um, And it basically says that people need to wait on the Mexico side of the border for their immigration hearings, uh, you know, their U.S. immigration hearings. And typically, um, people would would go through that entire process on U.S. soil, perhaps with their families, perhaps, you know, while, um, you know, while living here contributing um, to our to our country but this is a policy that was forcing people basically to um, sit in um, you know border cities in Mexico where they're extremely vulnerable to 
you know, extortion, vulnerable to violence, uh, assault, and just kind of wait there for months and years until their, uh, their hearing happened. And, and, you know, I'll say it is very much still in effect. And all of the people that we saw at that time, you know, this, this situation is still very much happening. Um, and the, the biggest change, I think, in that has been that, you know, at this point, the border agents are not even putting people in policies like remain in Mexico or, you know, putting people on, uh, I know that we saw the metering lists, they're just turning people away. The border is effectively closed to asylum seekers. That was really going to be my next question for you, how this pandemic has changed um, the country's and the administration's policies um, and how it has changed uh, refugees and asylum seekers' attempts to uh, gain asylum in our country? Well, I think what we're looking at at this point is really what I would define as a humanitarian crisis when it comes to immigration. As both of you said, you know, over the course of the past few years, the Trump administration has done everything in its power and honestly, something's far beyond its power to try to close off immigration to the United States. But in the past few months, they've also been able to use COVID-19 as a cover for accelerating that work and that goal. Um, so some of the things that, that we've seen is visa requirements for foreign workers, uh, restrictions on travel from certain countries, um, almost wholly suspending the refugee admissions program. And then of course, um, as I said, attacking asylum. Um, in the past month alone, there's been um, announcement after announcement of new uh, proposed regulations that would go after the right to seek asylum, um, including uh, proposals to change the definition of what persecution means, to eliminate gender as a reason to, uh, as a reason to seek asylum, the newest one that just came out is a proposed regulation that says that if you have come from a country where COVID-19 is present, then you're ineligible for asylum. So I'm wondering, is that, isn't that the entire planet? I mean, right. it, it is, um, it's really a shutting down of asylum and it's not new, you know, and I'm speaking to two rabbis here and you both know that, you know, Public health crises have been used throughout history, throughout our own history as well, to, to try to shut down immigration, to try to, you know, claim immigrants as being, uh, you know, somehow, um, you know, unwanted or dirty or something. None of true, but, um, but that is, uh, you know, what we're also seeing here. And, um, and we're really seeing a crisis in terms of asylum. And I'll, I'll remind to remind either of you, but I'll remind the people who are listening that asylum is, is something that we have available or we should have available by international law, by U.S. law, to people who are really fleeing violence and persecution, who are, who are fleeing for their lives and looking for, for safety here. And that is something that we should be able to offer. And at the border, you know, it, the, the, the solution is having some health screenings in place, and, and we do have those. Uh, it's not shutting down the border to people who need help. Yeah. What does this pandemic mean for those who are immigrants who are currently residing in this country, 
but uh, are undocumented. So I'll speak a little bit to this. I, I think on some level that what we're all experiencing in this country would also be true of people who are undocumented. We are all experiencing fear around our health, around our, um, you know, our, our stability. Um, we are all experiencing the economic uh, results of this crisis, but I think um, there are very few places where you can see this more than with how immigrants have been treated and how undocumented people have been treated. From the very beginning, um, people without documentation were simply left out of those initial um, forms of COVID relief, um, ineligible for unemployment insurance and for that, um, you know, that stimulus check that so many of us received. And, and that ha combined with the, the job losses that have been felt you know, across the country has left people in a very precarious situation. And I think in addition to that, um, while so much of our country shut down during that time, one thing that didn't shut down completely, although it did somewhat, was the, you know, the deportation machine um, and the fact that people are still being, um, being removed from this country and deported from this country. Um, and there's even been recent reports about how much that has contributed to the spread of COVID itself because, it, you know, of carrying people in airplanes who, who have COVID to different parts of the, the world. So I think that, you know, when we're talking about coronavirus as a country and figuring out a national response, the fact that we're leaving out entire segments, entire sectors of the U.S. population is uh, is just really a travesty. I mean, it's it's really an embarrassment, um, and that's something that lawmakers could be addressing right now. Rachel, um, as a rabbi, you you know that more times than anything else, the the Torah uh, demands us to welcome the stranger, to love the sojourner. For we were once sojourners, and so many Jewish communities a year ago. Uh, we're demanding the end of family separation, the end of kids in cages. Um, that was one of the things that inspired me to go on this rabbinic delegation to the border. Uh, as I said earlier, that that seems like it was uh, a lifetime ago. That for many reasons, as Rebecca shared with us, things have not changed at the border but the Jewish community is not talking about this. Our own communities aren't talking about this in the same way we were a year ago. Why do you think that is and how do we change that? Well, absolutely. Our, our Torah commands 36 times that we not oppress the stranger, that we welcome the stranger, that we love the stranger. And it's so deep in our entire story and our entire identity and in the mitzvot. And, um, I, I'm also thinking about how this we're talking we're having this conversation in the week of Tisha B'Av when we commemorate remember the destruction of the temples and how that was understood to be about either idolatry or sinat chinam senseless hatred and um, I'm 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 profoundly concerned not only about the suffering of the people at the border people who are seeking refuge in this country which I am deeply concerned about but also concerned about us and what is happening to our hearts and what is happening to our souls and the callousness 
that it, it kind of spreads actually like a virus. It kind of spreads that when we see it modeled and when we see everyone around us just kind of moving on and going on with business as usual and not looking anymore and not paying attention and not witnessing and not feeling, we become callous too. And I am profoundly disturbed by that. Why are, why are we not paying attention to the border? I mean, in our defense, there's a lot to pay attention to right now, right? There is a global pandemic. We've never lived through a global pandemic before. We're frightened. There is also been, been in the most sustained uprising for black lives that we've ever seen. That's phenomenal and giving a lot of us a lot of place to put our attention that is really a valid and important place to put our attention. Now there's a kind of war happening on the streets of our cities with federal forces. Like there's a lot to pay attention to. Um, there's an election coming. So, so just, I, I do think that there is also just kind of limits on human capacity to pay attention to so many things. But I, I, I do worry about this kind of creeping um, callousness that, that like, I think, you know, we talk a lot in our tradition about uncovering our hearts, peeling back the layer that covers our hearts, like, feeling with 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 hearts of flesh i i i pray for us that we will continue to to turn our eyes toward the human suffering that is happening because of the profound cruelty of this government and never to be comfortable with it or um comfortable with looking away something that i, I i'm hoping it's okay if i jump in and add something Please. here i wanted to say that I think that even though this isn't in the news and in our faces as much as it was, um, you know, one year ago when, uh, you know, when when our entire community was in an uproar over immigration detention or the or the summer proceeding when when we were talking about family separation and that was in the news, um, I, I think that the Jewish community really does care about immigration issues and refugee and asylum issues in a much deeper and well-educated, knowledgeable way than they did even just three or four years ago. It's been my experience. Um, I've been at Highest for five years, and in those early years, people didn't know much about the refugee program or why it matters to the Jewish community or what it is or what is asylum and didn't think very much about what happened when someone approaches uh, the border. <laughs> you know, it, that that's something that I think we've all learned so much about and the Jewish community has become very knowledgeable about and they have, you know, even, even in a week when they, they're not able to take action on that particular item, it is very deep for us. And I think it's because of the resonances with our own story, but I think it's also because of the very human nature of this issue and, and how much it's, it's touched us so much over the course of the past few years. Yeah, Hyas, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Rebecca, but uh, one of Hyas's slogans is, we used to resettle refugees because they were Jewish, now we do it because we are Jewish. The, uh, the idea that uh, right. Jewish values really guide us in, in this work, and Hyas has done a lot and played a huge role on educating the Jewish community to take on this holy work. I want to acknowledge as a rabbi that Torah is subjective and that I view Torah in a certain way Rachel, as a rabbi, how would you respond to those who view the same Torah that we do, uh, read the same texts, uh, and come up with a different conclusion, say that their Jewish values teach them that we need stronger borders, uh, that we should limit immigration, uh, 
that the refugees of our ancestors are very different than the refugees that we're talking about today. I would say that I, I agree that we, we know, we can see that Torah is read differently by different people and we all kind of read it selectively for the narrative that we want to see or that we maybe have been educated to see. Um, but but I, I, what I, would, I guess what I would say is that again and again, um, God is asking us to remind God of God's mercy, of God's um, loving kindness, of God's patience, of God's slowness to anger. God is asking us to remind God of that side of God. And we have the capacity, as does God, for to be, um, to uh, err on the side of givurah, on the side of kind of limits and strength. And that, that, is, that is part of God and that is part of also the human character and, and, and um, possibility. Um, and there are times and places for that. But what God keeps asking us to do throughout the tradition is to remind God of, of, the, of the tender parts, of the soft, the, the desire to love, that that's who God wants to be. And God wants our help in, 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 in bringing God to that, to that aspect of God's self. And I think that that, I, I would say that when we are torn between whether read, to read Torah in its kind of more limit, limit setting sense and, um, um, kind of us first sense or whether in its more expansive sense and loving everyone sense that we should remember what God is asking us, what is God, God is um, aspiring to for God's self because we are to emulate God. And, um, and while, while there is a, you know, a reasonable reading that is um, more closed, that, that kind of the heart of Torah, the heart of Torah is, is God's yearning to be more open, and therefore we should too. Amen. We, as part of our travels to the border, we also were able to tour the Otero ICE uh, Detention Center, uh, which was a really disturbing and, and eerie experience. Uh, personally, I, I wrote a reflection about it, feeling like those who are giving us the tour were trying to tell us that what our eyes saw and what our ears heard were lying to us, uh, right? This facility that was in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the desert, uh, intentionally making it difficult for people to visit it and um, witnessing really acts of solitary confinement with which um, those who were running the facility were trying to tell us was not happening. I'm wondering, Rebecca, in this pandemic, um, what the the facilities are like currently, and if the way ICE is treating detainees has changed, if it's improved, or or I, I uh, hate to even ask, God forbid, if it's become worse. Well, I think that the biggest story coming out of immigration detention right now is actually the prevalence of COVID nineteen in immigration detention, and. Although already, as you said, it was an incredibly inhumane way to treat people who were only being held because they're in the middle of immigration proceedings, basically. Um, at this point, it's also, um, you know, a, a death sentence. We know that COVID-19 is, is something that a disease that kills people and there have been outbreaks in immigration detention facilities across the country. Um, 
it has sparked um, protests and, and a little bit of attention toward the need to, um, to release people from immigration detention. And there have been a certain amount of people released from immigration detention, but, at, but for the large part, this is still a huge issue. There was also a, a recent news story about um, a number of Hampton Inns ho hotels, I believe, where children uh, incur where children were again separated from families, and they were detained in these hotels before they were uh, intended to be sent back over the border. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, and I think that that there's not a whole lot that is known about about that and about perhaps some of the other um, behind the scenes kind of covert subversive ways that the Trump administration is treating immigrants right now. Um, it, it That is of course completely outside of kind of the quote unquote normal functioning of the immigration system to, to the extent that that exists. And so I think it's, it's just really unnerving to find out that they are doing um, they're doing these things that, uh, you know, kind of outside of the public eye. Um, and for months, you know, children at the border have been turned back and, you know, and sent back alone over the border. And, and to, to kind of hear this happening in yet another way is, is very disturbing. I think a lot about the American experience and how we are a, a nation of immigrants. We are a country of immigrants, uh, aside from uh, indigenous Native Americans, um, and aside from enslaved peoples who were forced to come to this country, so many who are proud Americans, they, they bring their ethnicities, they bring their ancestries with them, and that is what makes America so beautiful. The, the multifaceted fabric of our nation that immigrant communities bring to this country. What is it about these policies that you would say are, both, both of you I would ask, are so un-American then? I, th I feel like in some, in some way, um, these policies run contrary to what this country is supposed to stand for, which is that it has been, um, you know, a beacon or, a, you know, a, a land of promise or opportunity for so many generations of immigrants. And in some ways, it hasn't been that. In some ways, you know, America has mistreated generations and generations of immigrants. And, and um, we kind of have an idealized idea of what the US immigration program has been over time. So I, I do think that it runs contrary to who we say we are as a country. And, um, you know, in, and in some ways, I do feel like the Statue of Liberty, I don't know what it is that she stands for anymore as she stands there in New York Harbor. I just want to, I want to add that it's also just profoundly un-Jewish. Like as Jews, this is like, our entire story is a story of immigration, right? From Abraham on, the, our, we became a people in the process of crossing out of Egypt and making our way to the promised land. The whole story is a story of migration, immigration, and then our entire history post-Bible is a story of being refugees, the whole story, the entire story. We've been refugees throughout our, our there is no period of time when Jews have not been refugees. So, so um, 
this does feel like of all of the issues, one of the closest to our identity and to our Torah of, of, of any issue you could pick. All the more so then, you know, it, it's, I have to candidly say, um, it, it boggles my mind when there are, are Jews who they themselves are descendants of refugees, uh, of immigrants who came to this country through Ellis Island or Galveston or, or elsewhere with uh, nothing but the, the bag on their back uh, to create a, a safer world and a safer life and a better world for their descendants, um, how they, in their heart of hearts, um, much like Pharaoh's heart was hardened, that, that their hearts are hardened and, and could deny the humanity uh, that we saw in, in the eyes of, of these children who were at the border because of MPP waiting for their asylum case to even be heard. Yeah, I mean, we, we learn that story every year, Pharaoh's heart. And we're all subject to it. We all get comfortable where we are. We forget. We feel like what we have um, can be taken for granted. Or is, you know, as we're warned, actually, and I think it's in Akev, which is coming up, um, we're warned, you know, not to, when we, get, when we get so comfortable on the land and when we feel, you know, fat with all of the, all the goods, goodness around us that we think it's of our own hands. We think we did it. We forget how how much we live, um, how much blessing comes to us from beyond us and how much what we have should never be taken for granted and we should always be grateful for it and how we should always be thinking about whoever doesn't have, whoever is new to the land, whoever is the stranger, whoever is on the margins, whoever is the poor or the widow or the orphan. That is what we must always, the prophets are shouting at us. Don't forget, don't forget who you are and where you come from. Yeah. And Moses was a flawed leader in his own right. The entire book of Deuteronomy is exactly about that. It's, it's about uh, worry that his life is coming to an end and trying to uh, remind the Israelites to not forget about their journeys and their experience uh, because it's our own experience that, that really is meant to, to guide us. Uh, it's our ancestors' experience that leads us to do the work that we're doing. Um, Rebecca, if you don't mind me putting you on the spot, uh, what has inspired you to do the work that you do for Hyas? You know, I think at one point I would have said that it's, you know, it's, it's everything that you just articulated, Jesse, um, the connection to our history, the connection to the woman that I'm named after who came here as an immigrant through Ellis Island and the other person that I'm named after who came here through Cuba. Um, and I also, I think, would have said it was Jewish values, but I think at this point it is, um, to paraphrase something that you actually wrote in one of your articles, we shouldn't need all of the Jewish arguments to kind of see that it's just an issue of the right thing to do and, and a human issue. And I think that we can be so much better, and I think that we can value and love each other and take care of each other, including people who are who newly came to this country as immigrants. Um, I really feel like what we need at this point is to flip the narrative. We should not be talking about immigration as a problem that needs to be handled or addressed. 
Um, we should be talking about immigration as being a wonderful thing for this country, the driving force behind the economic success of our country over generations and generations. We should be talking about immigrants as who they are, our teachers, our doctors, our neighbors, small business owners, our friends, because uh, that is the reality as people who are very much like perhaps for some of us, our own families when we came here. Um, there are ways uh, for our immigration system to be both fair and, and humane and just and calm and rational. And, um, and that's what we should be going for, not building obstacles so that people are forced into danger on, on one side of the border or another, uh, you know, not, not forcing people out so that they're, um, they feel like they have no other option than to try to cross a desert to be able to, you know, to come here. Um, we should be welcoming refugees because that's actually good for us as, as much as it is for the refugees who are coming. So I think that's really, you know, what I'm hoping that uh, to see from candidates right now who are running for office regardless of where they're running, regardless of the level or the position that they're running for, regardless of political parties, is just how are we going to talk about immigrants as people and put into place the right systems to be able to welcome people um, into a country as they should, as they should be uh, welcomed. I mean, I think um, migration is as, whole, is as old as human history. Groups of people move to to uh, individuals move in order to be able to have a better life life for themselves, and they shouldn't be blocked uh, in every pathway. That's that's um, that just leads to human suffering. Right, Rachel touched upon that. Right, that's the 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 Jewish people themselves called were called Ivrim, uh Hebrews, but but literally means right those who pass. Um, not just pass over the, the, the river, but where those who journey from one place to the other, um, that is part of our own experience. And I truly believe that's part of the American experience. I read a, an article that really highlights the increase uh, in the Washington Post um, earlier this month, so that it highlights the increase in irregular immigration because there's no legal way to declare asylum right now, not just because of MPP, but really since the pandemic has started, that there was an increase in the numbers of those detained by irregularly crossing the border from April to May, from May to June. It looks like July will even be higher than, than June. Uh, do you envision a return anytime soon to any normalcy in, in this process that allows for people to really defend their asylum claims and and really have their stories and their voices be heard? I certainly hope so. Um, that's not a possible question for me to answer, but that's certainly what we all need to push for. Unfortunately, you know, any one of us would do this, right? If, if we were in a situation where, you know, one pathway led to, um, you know, danger for our families, you know, possible death, and another pathway um, led to possible opportunity, we would do everything that we could, regardless of whether um, 
you know, it was deemed to be, um, you know, legal or authorized, we would do everything we could for our families. And we're putting people in this situation, which is incredibly dangerous. And we're knowingly doing that. We're knowingly forcing people to make these difficult journeys, um, to try to uh, cross a desert, to try to, uh, you know, cross a river, to, to make it here. Um, and it could be another way. They could have just gone over the bridge and presented themselves for asylum, but that's not, but that's blocked. We're, we're blocking the pathways for people to come here in the way that we should want people to come here, which is a, a kind of a safe, just, fair process. And right, if only those pathways were, were allowed, if those opportunities were allowed. Um, I'm intentionally using the word irregular immigration, a regular entry, yeah. which I think is really important. Uh, some will use the word uh, illegal immigration, uh, but I don't believe that to be the case that uh, I, no human being is illegal. We are all made with Salam Elohim in God's image. And if this is the only means that one has, if, the, if this is the only possible way one can enter this country in order to provide a, a safe life for themselves and their their children, right? Imagine that, that the experiences that we saw in ICE facilities were actually safer, uh, as unhumane and inhumane as they were, were actually safer than what they were experiencing on their journey to, to attempt to declare asylum. I mean, in some cases that's true, and, and the, the listeners of this podcast didn't see me just roll my eyes <laughs> at, the, at the idea, which we heard, you and I heard that together from so many people, the idea that the awful conditions in ICE detention at that particular point in time were safer for them than waiting uh, on the Mexico side of the border as a result of the MPP remain in Mexico policy, that, that the people we were talking to would have preferred to have been sitting in jail than to have been in the situation that they were in at that point, which is um, stuck, you know, in and, and extremely vulnerable um, on the Mexico side of the border for, you know, for a, a, for a length of time that was completely uncertain. And so that's still, you know, where a lot of people are. Um, and I'll say, you know, to some of your comments about legality, it, something that our group discussed the entire journey that we went on together is that the concept of seeking asylum, there is actually, it, not only is it legal, but there's no illegal way <laughs> to come here seeking asylum. Seeking asylum is a, is a perfectly legal. Uh, it's been part of our immigration code for decades. Um, it has been part of international law for, for even longer than that. Um, and it, seeking asylum, um, however you do it, wherever you do it, um, is a legal thing to do. And it's something that you can only do from standing on U.S. soil. So it's, you know, it, it, it's just, uh, it's always a, a alarming to me and um and uh, it always throws me off my feet to hear people talking about illegal immigration and asylum in the same sentence because it just doesn't make sense it's a completely legal uh thing to do right uh, rebecca you mentioned highest encouraging uh candidates to take certain positions um with 
election day less than 100 days away. Uh, are, are there specific things that, that Hyas is doing to work with candidates on the local, state, and federal level, encouraging them to take certain positions? I'm so glad you asked that. Yes, we have a campaign right now called the Vote for Welcome campaign. And the purpose of that campaign is to encourage candidates running at all levels of government um, from every political party, it's a nonpartisan campaign, um, to take an affirmative position in support of welcoming refugees and asylum seekers. We'd like to ask them to use their platforms to speak out about the fact that our country is currently uh, almost completely closed to refugees and asylum seekers. We'd like them to be talking about that as a crisis. We'd like them to be talking about how they would address it once they were in office. And so we have advocates in different parts of the country in different congressional districts who are reaching out to candidates, both political parties, you know, just to say, you know, these, we are Jews. We care about these issues and we want you to know that because if you're going to represent us, this is what we'd like you to represent. Um, so it's our hope that we can encourage candidates to be more aware about these issues, more knowledgeable about them, and to kind of feel the urgency that I know the three of us feel here um, uh, around the importance of addressing this issue really as soon as they possibly can upon being elected. One of the reasons for this podcast is because I believe that there's the act of voting is really a holy act. Um, it is a sacred act. Mishnah Avot teaches us that um, we should not separate ourselves from the community. And I believe part of Jewish experience and Jewish expression is to uh, use our Jewish values to uh, guide us in how we believe that larger community should look. There are so many systems in society that are currently broken, and we have an obligation to literally to repair the world, to act as God's messengers and walk in God's ways and demand that we welcome the stranger, that we love the stranger, for we were once in their shoes. So many of us continue to be uh, in their shoes and, and um, walking in their footsteps, or they are now walking in the footsteps that we once walked and our obligation to love the sojourner and welcome the sojourner should certainly guide us as we look at the larger community and what we want this community to look like come election day. I really thank you, Rebecca, and I really thank you, Rachel, for uh, joining us in this conversation on immigration uh, and the Jewish values that guide us. Again, I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky, and this has been Behind the Ballot Box, Jewish Values and Our Vote. If you want to follow uh, Rebecca Kurtzner, you can on Twitter at K-I-R-Z-B-E-C-K-A, Kurtzbecca. You can follow Rabbi Rachel Timoner on Twitter at R-T-I-M-O-N-E-R. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at J-M-O-L-I-T-Z-K-Y. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay active. Be an activist. Make your values heard and felt in all that you do.